0: It's May 5th. Greetings. Jespo here with Hicks. Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. (laughs) I was reading up on Cinco de Mayo today. I said, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. If this comes up with a friend, I want to make sure I know exactly what we're talking about here. What did we
1: learn? Well,
0: well, I, I, I reiterated my memory, my vague memory, my general memory that Cinco de Mayo is not celebrating Mexican independence, but it is celebrating a huge Mexican Uh, Victory over the French Sure Yeah, when Napoleon wanted to uh, Wanted to uh, essentially uh, expand his empire And uh, the Mexican army said no Outnumbered, they say Three times 6,000 French soldiers attempting uh, To take Mexican soil And uh, the Mexican army that day said "Uh Uh-uh And so that's what everybody celebrates today Although there have been conversations Which isn't surprising That the uh, celebration has been somewhat misunderstood and commercialized yeah just like uh st patty's day as well it's like Like everything but some people today will be finding patios and they'll be they'll be grabbing buckets of coronas and tacos wishing each other a happy cinco de mayo (laughs) and finding some joy as the sun hits their face and I was reading some comments from from a lot of uh, advocates, most especially in the U.S. is bigger deal in the U.S. Yeah, and they were saying it's good getting people talking about Mexican culture and doing a little bit of reading and learning and all that kind of jazz. Uh, we've got a great show in store coming up in just a few minutes. We want to update you on some stories. I'm going to get to some emails today, and I'm just going to say it. Although nobody on the podcast will be able to tell because you do an amazing job. You're troubleshooting today. We got the gremlins running around in our <laughs> tech systems. We've here. had for the last couple had, days. The gremlins but... are running around, which is it's it's okay. It keeps us on our toes. Let me remind you, we're going to see if the music fires today. We're going to see what it's happens. It's going to fire. No matter what happens, we're going to roll with it because it's Thursday, which is the new Friday. And we're excited Isn't to have it? you here with us. For, you, hadn't, you didn't get that memo? Okay, I got, yeah, I got check my which email. Which makes me excited about Wednesday because then Wednesday has a bit of a Thursday vibe. And then, you know, the weeks just keep getting shorter and shorter. Regardless, the show happens because of sponsors like our title sponsor that's why we tell you about them first every single show that we do there's a lot of conversation about bitcoin right now and it's intertwining with with politics and the economy and people are talking about is bitcoin insurance against inflation but then the value of bitcoin drops and people go aha hey hang on what's up with that theory when i have questions like this and i want real talk about bitcoin i go to benny and his team at bitcoin well you can have Book an in-person consultation. It's free today. There's no obligation. You don't have to buy Bitcoin. They can just help you understand it. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts
2: right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: Carly John in just a couple of moments. She's just won the three MT competition at Athabasca University. Have you heard about this? This is the three minute thesis. Three MT is a really neat trend uh, that universities participate in. It's not a trend; it's a competition. uh, But it's a really neat way of having researchers at typically at graduate, uh, doctorate, or or postdoctoral levels uh, taking the subject matter, taking sort of the premise of their research, and then trying to. Not dumb it down, that's not how we want to put it, but make it accessible or understandable to the rest of us. And so they have to take their thesis and sum it up in three minutes or less, and that's what Carly did. Uh, she's talking about weight and stigma and how fat is not a bad word. Well, she won the 3MT competition at Athabasca University, which means she's off to regionals. She's going to go up against all of the the best that Western Canada has to offer making her way toward nationals but let's take one step at a time i'm sure she'll say she's off to winnipeg she flies there tonight she's going to talk to us first looking forward to that plus author angie thomas will join us a New York Times bestselling author. She's going to be on the show in about uh, half hour's time, John, something like that. And uh, yeah. she, she wrote the book The Hate You Give. This is the one that was turned into a major motion picture. It sold three and a half million copies. It's probably sold more since this information was printed in front of me. Her new book is a follow-up to that, but it's actually kind of a precursor. Uh, it takes a look at the family that was featured in Uh, the hate you give many, many years ago, the Carter family, but it goes 17 years before the story that launched conversations that facilitated conversations across the United States and around the world on racism and black lives matter. It centers around a police shooting. Angie Thomas with her writing, Has been called one of the most influential literary voices of a generation. I'm really geared up that she's going to talk to us in about a half hour's time. And that's coming up. Plus, your emails about avian flu. Uh, Heard from someone. I don't know if Mark is working in agriculture. I don't know if Mark's calling is agriculture, if that's his career. He sure sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's, quite frankly, pretty pissed off about my conversation yesterday with Jessica Scott-Reed. I want to read Mark's email. Also want to let you know that when we book conversations with people... Sometimes we have roundtables and panels, and sometimes they're ongoing conversations. So I can let you know, for example, we've got an ag producer booked on Monday already who wants to come on and, and talk about the care that animals receive on farms, how ag producers, how farmers feel about animals on their farm, especially when death is involved, calls, the avian flu is sweeping across Alberta right now our home province the United States the numbers are off the charts more than 20 million birds cold. so this is a big story when I saw the mayor of Sturgeon County uh, her worship Elena Natchew posting to her followers just the other day this is becoming local for everybody and I yeah. mean there's a lot of farms in that area but even Mayor Natchew saying you know they're asking people to keep their bird feeders clear right now yeah they're trying to stop the avian traffic, as you might call it, and uh, so this is a story that we're following—a big one. Did the prime minister drop an F bomb in the House <laughs> of Commons or not? Uh, and if he did, does it matter? Do you care? I think it's pretty interesting because here in Alberta, a pretty high-ranking conservative politician, uh, you know, uh, you know, was allegedly. Uh, d- using that same language, that same lack of decorum, mm-hmm. right? MLA Minister uh, Jason Nixon a while ago, and some people were outraged, and some people kind of went, no big deal. And I'm looking at this, and I'm going, I wonder if the same folks that were outraged about Nixon's comments are outraged about the prime minister's. Right. And I wonder if the people that are outraged about the prime minister's were outraged about Nixon's. And if the people that sit here in this circumstance say, well, I don't really care about that, or that happens from time to time, or there's emotion in politics? Are you applying it equally to both parties? Interesting debate to be have. Do you care? Does it matter if politicians' language is a little blue? You can let us know what you think on that. I also want to get to Ellen's email, and this is a really meaningful one. Uh, she wrote into to us about a story that a lot of people are talking about right now. Uh, this after... Um, uh, pretty huge story by politico earlier this week and we've been talking about this you may have heard our roundtable yesterday on access to abortion in canada senator elizabeth warren with just uh i mean just absolute passion and anger yesterday speaking to reporters the massachusetts senator did uh chief justice john roberts ordering an investigation into what he calls an egregious breach of trust you remember this the i don't know a lot of people don't prefer the word leak but whatever you want to call it a, a, a leak or a draft opinion Uh, penned by Justice Samuel Alito from the American from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, provided to Politico and it's fueling uh, really remarkable reporting like maybe Pulitzer Prize reporting but it's got a lot of people talking about access to abortion including here in Canada and Ellen wrote us an email It's a really powerful one, and I'm going to leave some time to share that with you before we wrap up the show today. We're going to talk to Carly in just a little, uh, just a minute, just a second, uh, when it comes to stigma and how how she got into this field of study and and what fuels her research and and what's the number one message that she wants people to take from this and And how she's feeling, by the way, about flying out to Winnipeg to represent Athabasca University. That's a pretty exciting opportunity. First, let's tell you about Friesen Brothers. If you don't yet have a plan in place for Mother's Day, if this is the first you're hearing that Mother's Day is this weekend. It's this Sunday. I want to encourage you to check out frizen.com They've got an all-you-can-eat Mother's Day brunch available all day on the 8th of May. Okay? Available at select Friesen Brothers locations. You know the one. I mean, if you have a Friesen Brothers in your community with that unbelievable restaurant set up, you know, they got the fireplace in there, the fresh hot food. Unbelievable. The, taps. the beer taps. I love we go straight to the taps. Make sure you pour yourself a cold pint on. Why not? Mom might want a cold pint, of local beer. You can get that at the South Edmonton store. The all-you-can-eat Mother's Day brunch available all day May 8th at select Friesen Brothers locations. You can find out more at Friesen.com. Friesen Brothers is Alberta-owned and alberta grown Park Power, same story. It's an independently family-owned business providing internet, electricity, and natural gas. They're your friendly local utilities provider. One of the reasons we're really proud to partner with them, Park Power takes 10% of their proceeds on electricity, they plug them back into the community to nonprofits. When you sign up to take your business to Park Power, you get to choose which charity you allocate the funds to. What other companies doing that? The answer is none of them. You can compare rates today. Internet, electricity, natural gas. The promo code 2022 talk gets you $70 off your first bill. What an offer that is. And if you happen to be heading out of town, if you're lucky enough to have your sandals, maybe your golf clubs packed and you are getting out of here for a little while, why not keep some money in your pocket by parking at Jet Set Parking? That's right. If you're flying out of Edmonton International Airport, you can save money by booking your parking online Today. Give yourself at least 24 hours notice. You can book for travel all the way through to the end of 2022. The promo code REALTALK gets you parking for $7 a day at Jet Set Parking, and that includes the shuttle right up to your departure area, by the way. I know that. I took it about a month ago. Seamless, easy, and like I said, I was gone seven days. 49 bucks. John, under 50 bucks to park the car there at the airport That's a great deal. all week. The promo code Talk at jetsetparking.com. Well, it's a word that, uh, I don't know, depending on where or when you grew up, you were probably told not to use it. Certainly not to call anybody fat. But our next guest argues it's not a bad word. Uh, Carly John is a master of counseling student at Athabasca University. She's working to destigmatize fat, and she's the winner of that university's three-minute thesis competition. She flies out tonight to Winnipeg to go up against the best in Western Canada. Carly, welcome to the show, and thanks for making time for us.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Is it John?
3: It's Jan. Jan,
0: thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. I won't make the same mistake twice. Uh, this is, this is first of all, a huge honor. for I've had an opportunity to host uh, three MTs before these three-minute thesis competitions, it's first of all f- for a layperson what a learning experience to get pretty much the the premise of somebody's area of study or somebody's focus uh, in a concise presentation three minutes uh, you learn a lot uh, but you also realize how many bright minds there are at these research universities including Athabasca how did it feel to win this one are you on a bit of a cloud nine right now
3: um you know what everyone keeps asking me that and I think um I've kind of I'm like kind of obsessed with the topic of weight stigma and I actually wanted to withdraw from the competition because I'm like super busy and I kind of overburdened myself and then I ended up getting COVID for the second time Ooh. and um, I emailed Crystal and I was like hey I want to withdraw and she convinced me she was like well talk to me about what you wanted to do and then I told her and she convinced me to go through with it so I literally like rolled out of bed 10 minutes before my presentation. And I had like no voice and I had like a fever and like, I just wasn't feeling good. And then I kind of just went for it and I went back to bed as soon as my presentation was over and then i was like oh my gosh
0: i can't believe i won (laughs) you're 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 like these athletes where we hear the story later and and they're like she won the 200 meters running on a broken leg everybody hears everybody hears the story but obviously uh you care deeply about the subject matter and i'm I'm grateful that you took part in the 3mt because you won it and then that put it on our radar and then now here you are and now a whole bunch of people are going to be considering the points that you want to make that are so important how did weight stigma or fat is a bad word or not a bad word? How did this sort of become an area of focus for you? I mean, this is this is really what your research is centering around in your Master of Counseling program.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it really started, you know, I struggled with body image and like always feeling like the fat kid my whole life. And um, when I was like 18, 19, I just like I kind of like woke up one day and like decided, you know, I wasn't going to eat anymore. And so years later, I went to like an intense CBT uh, cognitive behavioral therapy program in Windsor, Ontario. And, you know, I was going through this intense treatment program and I was working with like nutritionists, social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists. Um, And they kept asking me, you know, how do you feel? And I would say, "I I feel fat. And they were like, well, fat is not a feeling. And that always really frustrated me because you keep asking me how I'm feeling. And I keep telling you how I'm feeling. And you keep telling me that's not a feeling. So it was like really kind of invalidating and like dismissive. And it always frustrated me. And what I didn't know at the time is that I had internalized this message of fat equals bad. You know, our society and like people in general think in very linear black and white binary terms. And so you're thin, you're good. You're fat, you're bad. So me always identifying as this fat kid, I had just like internalized all of these messages and the way people view fat people, the way people talk about fat fat people. I had internalized this so deeply. And going through that CBT program that was really intense, it didn't actually deconstruct what the underlying condition was, which was that I was extremely um, fat phobic. So this research really is influenced and inspired me because of my own experiences. And then it wasn't until I started reading um, Roxanne Gay's book, Hunger. And she is this queer, fat black woman. And it wasn't until I started reading her book that she started talking about fat in a neutral way, similar to how you would talk about someone being short or tall, Mm. or like someone wearing glasses. Like it's just a neutral, um, a neutral descriptor. And then she kind of introduced me into this world of, seeing fat in a more neutral way. And it's like separate from the body positivity moment, um, movement, because I think body positivity is great, but it also still, you super celebrate those thin bodies or you super celebrate those bodies that conform to a very, very specific beauty standard and fat people aren't included in that space. And it also just, you know, my treatment and like the body positivity movement, it didn't resonate with me. Um, So that's kind of where it started in my really early 20s, going through treatment and having treatment was just not like resonate with me. And then I started researching and researching. And then I actually started looking up like evidence-based research and like the science behind um, fatness and fat people. And it's actually crazy how under-researched it is and you cannot definitively say being fat causes worse health outcomes or if it's like the stigmatized way we treat fat people that contributes to worse health outcomes
0: Hmm. there's a a comment here from carrie who's watching us live she says my life in six words (laughs) fat thin fat thin fat thin and I bet there's a whole bunch of people that could relate to what Carrie has to say. You know, it was pretty wild, actually. I was watching your thesis. People can find it online. People can go onto YouTube and watch the actual three minutes and you nail it, by the way. <laughs> um, well, you can't go over. You had to nail it. That's yeah. kind of hard. You don't <laughs> want to get disqualified. But you know you know the ad that YouTube ran right after your three-minute thesis on fatness? Diet. Yep. I lost 70 pounds in four months. And I was just like, oh, Wow. Like that it just and I know that's all algorithm. I don't think that there's like a Wizard of Oz behind a curtain that's figuring that out. But I I just thought depending on who goes and finds your YouTube to watch your 3MT, we're talking to Carly Jan J-A-H-N, if you want to search it. <laughs> I just thought that could be like a real I mean, it just it was significant to me. And and I thought that it. I, I don't know exactly what it represents, but it just proves that that seems to kind of be where all the conversation comes back, doesn't it?
3: it just reinforces. Yeah. These messages are like everywhere. And I know this is something we kind of all universally know, like beauty standards are unrealistic, whatever. But though, like it really is like people generally, they tend to think in these very black and white terms. Yeah. So fat is bad, thin is good. So, and you know, something I talk about in that little three minute thesis clip is how, when I was like, in the throes of my eating disorder and I was really, really sick, a doctor refused to refer me to treatment because he was like, oh, are are you sure you have an eating disorder? Like he literally asked me that. And it was so like disheartening, discouraging, invalidating. Um, You know, it took a lot for me to get there. And then, you know, I think of all of these people that Um, don't have the privilege to take a day off work, to go to the doctor and talk to their doctor about this very serious thing that they're having. Mm. And it was, you know, you also look at all these meta-analysis and uh, scoping reviews on what fat people experience in healthcare. And a big thing they experience is condescending and patronizing behavior from practitioners. And it's like, well, duh, obviously you're not gonna wanna go back to the doctor when you're constantly told that, like you're the problem, huh. not, not anyone else or anything else. You're less likely to engage in your health or engage in your therapeutic goals when you're constantly being blamed. And that's kind of the whole thing behind stigma. Stigma is all about shame and blame and you know, society um, tells you you're bad, blames you for your problems, and then you internalize
0: that. I, I, I pulled a couple of quotes from your three minutes, from your three minute thesis presentation. Two of them that jumped out at me, you said we're hyper focused on treating weight as the main concern. Uh, the word hyper focused there jumped out at me. And you also said, and you, you close with this, you say loving yourself is intrinsic to health. Um, you've got a good comment here from Erica who says there's such a big difference between losing weight for society's unattainable definition of beauty and losing weight for health. And those almost need to be separate conversations. And I just feel, and I want you, you're the expert here, not me, but I do know that for example, like I've had a friend that has had five knee surgeries. I have a friend. It's not past tense. He's had five knee surgeries and he's been told by doctors in past that he's got to lose weight when he has a big surgery coming up. And that's just like a fact. That's like a physiological fact. They say it's going to be easier on your knees, easier on your body. You're going to recover more quickly from the surgery, right? We also know that there are uh, implications like weight-related implications for in some health scenarios. I mean that that is just a fact when you talk to people. So so how do we as a society that wants to have real talk and that wants to listen to the evidence that you're talking about and that wants to understand holistic health and how self love or self care is intrinsic to good health? How do we reconcile all of this? Like how how do how do we how do we follow the research of what you're saying and say fat is not a bad word and it's not? How do we talk to people about self esteem and self confidence and self care? And how do we also say we need to, you know, continue to acknowledge some things that that also, you know, are conversations that need to be had in the context of of keeping people alive for as long as we can? Do you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, and you know what, you're so you're so right, and I get this like um, a criticism. I also I often get in like conversations with people is like, but I just want you to be healthy, and I get I get frustrated with that comment because I'm like, well no, what you're really saying is, I want you to conform to my definition of your health. Mm. And there's also like everything you just said, there are so many layers to that, to weight stigma. There are so many layers to it. It's like, you have to look at these independent things and you kind of have to like study the context to be able to answer those questions because within your broad question that I would have to, I feel like I would have to answer like a hundred million little sure. questions. You could probably write
0: 600 pages there. on it.
3: Yeah. So I mean like my, the bottom for me, like kind of the bottom line is it's not a one size fits all approach. You have to look at the person as a unique person because you know what, we all bring our lived experiences, to um, life and like, you know, you have to look at the person that's in front of you and you also have to take into account the like societal context that they're, the systems that they're living in and maybe look at these barriers that are contributing to their presenting concern. And a big, like to me, the a barrier that's like right in our face that nobody has really studied yet is stigma the shame and blame that comes from being fat. And, you know, statistics, um, evidence-based research says weight is not something you can just independently manipulate or control Mm. for 90, for almost 90% of people, your weight is your weight is determined by genetics, hormones, all these other factors. So you're literally prescribing something that is impossible for 90% of people. When you say like just lose weight, mm. just you have to, okay.
0: And you think I, of how I that I basically can't. <laughs> you you think of how that that conditioning works, right? Like Emma's sharing a comment with us here. That's I don't know if it's heart well, it's heartbreaking and infuriating. Uh, she says I'm trying so hard to shield my five year old daughter from these stigmatizing messages. She told me she can't wear a tank top because quote. People will make fun of her elephant arms. Emma's daughter's five.
3: I mean, you could also just neutrally destigmatize that. What's wrong with that? Hmm. What's where's the problem in that? Like, I think we just need to start talking about these things and using it more as neutral descriptors rather than like, oh, God, you have elephant arms like gross. You should be ashamed. Like, what's wrong? Like, let's dissect. I mean, it's hard to do that with a five-year-old, but like, I feel like there's still a little space for you to try. What's wrong with elephant arms? Tell me more about that. What does that mean to you? Why are like, where is this coming from?
0: I'm grateful that there are people like you driving these conversations and challenging us and, and, uh, I suspect, are you, where do you, where do you ultimately envision this going? You're working on a master in counseling program. Um, has this in your own life kind of almost taken a life of its own? Like, do you, do you almost kind of see a career path unfolding in front of you the more that you learn and study this? And, you know, I mean, the fact that a lot of this is based on your own lived experience. So there's a real conviction that comes with it too.
3: You know, I think like, yes, I'm also, just so I'm very like, um, I love learning. I love school. I love talking about my research. I love talking about weight stigma. Um, I think, though, I kind of have learned how to capitalize on my passions. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm quirky. I'm not like, um, you know, when my boyfriend brought me home to, or fiance, when he brought me home to his parents, I had kind of anticipated them being like, oh, okay, yeah, the girl with tattoos and the tongue piercing and pink hair, sure. Um, they were the opposite. They were lovely and like embraced everything. But I think that I just really learned how to capitalize on my passion and capitalize on my engaging nature and also speak a language that every, that is accessible to everyone. Because when I talk about these things, I want people to genuinely understand What's happening and ask questions because that's how we're going to be able to get the message out more universally, more globally, more accessibly.
0: That's Carly Yon, uh, Master of Counseling student out of Athabasca University. She's the winner of Athabasca U's uh, three minute thesis. That's a 3MT competition. And tonight, She flies out to Winnipeg uh, to go up against the other winners across Western Canada in the three MT regionals. We wish you the real talk bump, you know, maybe a little bit of karma your way. Maybe you'll take this one and go all the way to nationals. Carly, thanks for talking to us and getting this conversation going with our audience. We appreciate it. That's Carly Yon and you can learn more about uh, Athabasca university. Let me mention it right now. Obviously. I mean, we talked to you a lot about how it's the kind of uh, learn at your pace type place. If you, you want to like blow through a course or a micro course or, or you want to plot out maybe a longer term plan to get your degree done, maybe your Master of Counseling, I'm showing you right now at news.athabascau.ca making fat neutral. The human experience isn't one size fits all. This is what we were just talking about through their Faculty of Graduate Studies, the Faculty of Health Disciplines, Learners, Research. This story just published a couple of days ago. You know that Athabasca University is one of Canada's top research universities. You can learn more about it, find out about the admissions program and how this might be a great fit for you and your post-secondary plan. You can find them today, Canada's online university at AthabascaU.ca. Yesterday, a conversation with filmmaker Fran Strine and Ray Parker Jr. He's in transit. Both of them are in transit as well on their way to Edmonton for tomorrow night's opening night at Northwest Fest. That's Canada's longest running documentary film festival. They're back with in cinema screenings, kicking off with a a big dinner tonight. They're opening dinner tonight. And then the films go tomorrow all the way through till May 15th. The theatrical celebrations through the 14th. You can check out the full lineup online at northwestfest.ca. That's also where you can get your tickets. And don't forget, Real Talk is proud to be the opening night presenting sponsor for who are you going to call? That's tomorrow night. The story of Ray Parker Jr., who brought the world the Ghostbusters theme song. His career absolutely amazing. I'm going to be hosting the event. We'll interview Ray and Fran, the filmmaker, after the show. It's going to be a great in-person event. Again, if you don't have tickets yet, you can get them online at northwestfest.ca. And our friends at Kubi Energy want us to let you know they are hiring. This is their main message this month. If you're looking for work, if you're a skilled laborer, if you're an electrical apprentice, or if you have your ticket, if you're an electrical, uh, if you have your journeyman, they're not a big, boring corporation where you're a cog in the machine. Check this out online at kubienergy.ca. This is the best way to get in touch with them. You impact the company when you work there. And you're also impacting the growth of clean energy development in Canada. How cool is that? They're currently hiring a lead structural engineer. That's a career job right there. Plus, multiple electrician positions. Go to kubienergy.ca slash careers. All right, we ask you every single day to tell us how you're feeling about the stories that we're talking about. We ask you to to be honest with us uh, about where you're landing on some pretty contentious issues. Um, we ask you to shoot straight and bring the real talk. To our email inbox, talk at ryanjesperson.com. And that's exactly what Mark and Ellen have done. And we've set their emails aside. I want to get to these before we check in uh, with author Angie Thomas. She's coming up in just a few moments. uh, The New York Times bestselling author. Uh, She just put out this book, Concrete Rose. This book shot, uh, became what they call an an instant bestseller on the New York Times list, which is amazing. And that's probably because it's a direct follow-up to her novel from about five years ago, The Hate You Give, which sold... Almost four million copies. Last time I saw, it, three point something, three point something. You imagine selling four million copies of a book? How cool that would be! New York Times bestseller. That's incredible. You, but you know, like when, when 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 you're writing about something you care about. She's writing about, um, you know, the, the dynamic of police. And black Americans she's, yeah. she's writing about uh, racism the black lives matter movement this type of stuff this is she's she's uh, you know creating or setting the table for these huge conversations and that's why I think that she has risen and earned such high acclaim here so a lot of book awards and we'll get into that in just a few moments mark was paying attention to my conversation yesterday with Jessica Scott Reed uh, she's an animal rights advocate she's a freelance journalist she was on talking about a specific story out of Iowa this is related to the The avian flu story, this is relevant to poultry producers and jurisdictions across North America, around the world for that matter. But in particular, I mean, in Alberta alone, 600,000 birds affected in the United States, like 20 plus million birds, chickens in particular, have been called due to avian flu. Jessica takes issue. She asked us yesterday. She implored us to reframe the conversation. She wanted to talk about the methods of the call. She wanted to talk about. Humane or inhumane, ethical or unethical practices in agriculture. It's one perspective. And Mark wrote in to say, Brutal was all I could think after I heard that interview with Jessica Scott Reed. Uh, says, uh, Ryan, I've listened to you expertly interview people asking the right questions, following the logic, but on this one, you dropped the ball. He says, uh, That farm. Uh, you know, when it comes to the bottom line, ag, maybe not your wheelhouse, says Mark. Uh, Did you wonder how do migratory birds get into chicken barns to spread the flu? They don't. Uh, I'm assuming this is a reference yesterday. It's talking about how some experts believe that avian flu had landed, so to speak, had started impacting these flocks and these operations in Canada and the United States. Mark says the disease is highly transmissible. Migratory birds infect those organic flocks that spend their lives under nets outside. The feces they drop on the grass is what those chickens eat. So workers handling those chickens get the disease on them. And then unfortunately, they go to another facility. They maybe don't change their boots or gloves. And the disease that enters a closed barn facility infects all those birds. He says, so why? So did you ask what the flu does to the chickens? Mark says, over time, the chicken slowly suffocates on its own mucus. Now, why do you have to put down these chickens? Uh, number one, he says it's inhumane to let them suffocate. And number two, because we don't want this to spread to other chicken facilities, both meat and egg businesses being impacted. And he's not wrong. Mark says also you've got to stop attaching human emotions to or other, uh, to chickens or other barn animals because they don't have human emotions. That would be an amazing debate. not Not whether or not chickens have human emotions that debate would take two seconds but whether or not you can um start to draw on things like uh, are there feelings of fear or empathy or connection or love or loyalty or friendship or aware what's the sentient awareness of with animals
1: i that- think research shows they do feel and and have emotions and but even past that like how do we, how are we ever going to know for sure you yeah know, it's just it's an unanswerable question so. yeah
0: i mean we've talked I've, I've interviewed a personal friend of mine who owns an abattoir which yeah. is a, a nice name for a slaughterhouse but mm-hmm. uh he takes great pride in what he does and um and and i've encouraged people to follow him uh, he's actually been on this show before, and I've been, I've encouraged people to follow him on, on Instagram uh, because th- there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And he carries a heavy load personally with what he does. And, and he he's, must know. He's, he's he- quite honest about it. Um, and uh, we should post his Instagram on our Twitter account after this. But he so th- there, there are if people are honest with you, they say that in these slaughterhouses, these abattoirs. They'll say that, that oftentimes there, there is kind of that sense of like the animals know what's up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's beef or pigs or whatever it is that they kind of know what's up and that there's sort of a stressful element to it, as you might imagine. At the same time, we talked about it candidly on this show before that humans feel differently about different species of animals. Like, you know, if you had to choose whether you're going to hit a chicken with your car or hit a person with your car, you're going to hit the chicken 10 times out of 10. Right. I'm not trying to be glib or I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, sort of dismiss Mark's point. I get where Mark's getting at, and, and humans do treat different animals differently. That's true, but I don't think that you simply write off the animals because they don't have human emotions, and that's not what Mark's arguing, but he says stop attaching human emotions to chickens or to other barn animals. They don't have human emotions. He says Canada has high animal welfare rules, and the ones that don't follow the rules uh, are the exception, not the norm. Mark says, so the next time there's an agriculture discussion, especially about health, disease and animal welfare, you got to get the chief provincial veterinarian or you've got to get any CFIA, the Food Inspection Agency official, so that there's some balance and some facts. And then Mark says, I really enjoy the podcast. Mark, we really enjoy hearing from people like you. And I really appreciate uh, you sharing your perspective. Want to let you know, we do have an ag producer booked on Monday. A lot of these conversations and I'm happy to to, to I'm not saying remind you, but just to you know reiterate our commitment that a lot of times when we're talking about subject matter that requires more than 10 minutes or that requires more than one or two or five perspectives, these conversations are ongoing and they happen over a series of weeks or months or even years. On a show, and that's a commitment that we make to you.
1: Seems like we, we get into one subject and then, oh, now we're in another one. We're going gonna to yeah. have to do a show about this now. Yeah, so well, and I I'm to, glad you follow up, especially the next day. And then, you of know,
0: course, yeah. and, and we want to take it seriously. We had a real talker reach out to us yesterday. She said, have you fallen victim to that sort of that that that, uh, you know, that uh, two week news cycle type thing that people experience? She says, I haven't heard Ukraine mentioned on the show in quite some time. Um, we've got irons in the fire we're working on uh, interviews behind the scenes talking about what canadians are doing in ukraine it's red dress day today i mean there are so many things that demand our attention that demand our focus canadians today uh will be focused and, and and indigenous people across canada in particular advocates will be wearing red dresses today as a visual and searing reminder of uh another problem plaguing this country and that is Missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and red dress day goes today and it demands our attention. It demands our focus and our respect. That's another example. We always appreciate your feedback with this show, letting us know what you'd like to hear more about, where your focus is at, what matters most to you right now. And it does drive uh, a significant portion of our editorial direction. Author Angie Thomas, in just a moment, we want to let you know that this is the time of year that Eden Landscaping is set to go. They've got their teams. I mean, they've been working on landscape designs through the winter. They've been pulling your real property reports. They've been working on the blueprints to bring your outdoor space to life. And now... They're getting down to it. Eden Landscaping is especially proud of the return business they earn in the referrals from customers over the past 20 years. A custom landscape builder that takes you from design all the way through to completion. No subcontracting, no extra work for you. They don't leave until you're satisfied. You can check out their portfolio, their services, and get in touch with them for a quote at landscapeedmonton.ca. Also wanted to remind you that the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge are ready for you, whether it's online shopping, you wanna go check out their new or pre-owned inventory on their websites, or you wanna go see them in person, including that beautiful new dealership in St. Albert. I think that's only like a year old right now, maybe two years old. Absolutely stunning. The best selection in the province when it comes to Jeep, and of course the Dodge lineup, including that Ram 1500 that's just won its third Motor Trend Truck of the Year award. Out of the past three years, that's right, back-to-back-to-back, Canadians have chosen Ram as their favorite truck, the best bang for buck, and you're going to find the best selection of it at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. An instant New York Times bestseller. Instant. That's Angie Thomas. Her brand-new book, Concrete Rose, the follow-up, to the book that sold more than three and a half million copies, that's The Hate You Give. She's been called one of the most influential literary voices of a generation. Her story, The Hate You Give, follows Star Carter, a teen girl the only witness to her friend's fatal shooting by a police officer. That book earned a number of prominent awards, including the William C. Morris Award, a Prince Honor Book, A Coretta Scott King author honor book. And it was a National Book Award long list title. Uh, Her brand new book, Angie Thomas, Concrete Rose, just out already on the New York Times bestseller list. Joining us live, making her Real Talk debut. It's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for making time for us.
4: Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be
0: here. So what's this like for an author? I mean, maybe, maybe you're used to it by now. You've had five years, I guess, for, for it to kind of settle in that, that, you know, you've penned these books that have sold millions of copies. But when a new work, when Concrete Rose goes right to the top, it becomes an immediate New York Times bestseller. What does that tell you about the impact of the work you're doing?
4: You know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. <laughs> it's amazing to me. It's an honor But also it tells me one, yes, young people still read. They're still reading. Um, They're not just absorbed with TikTok, you know, they still read books. But also, it tells me that they want more perspectives. They want to see stories um, that show various people in various types of situations. They want diverse literature. They want diverse stories. So, for a story, a book like Concrete Rose, which is considered historical fiction because it takes place in 1998, that was a stake in the heart. But, um, you know, <laughs> it's historical fiction. Takes place in 1998. Different types of technology than young people use now, but yet and still, they still love this book. They bought this book. They were reading this book. That tells me that they want stories and they want stories from all different types of lives.
0: For people that I mean, you you write. How do you define your audience? By the way, when when you talk about young readers, or are you talking like sort of 14 to 22, or what's the age range that you write to?
4: Yeah, it's about that 14 to 22, 21. Um, 23 even age range. I have, but the funny thing is, it's hard for me to put my readers in a box because I have readers from all age ranges. I have readers from all types of backgrounds. You know, I had a 12-year-old kid reach out and tell me they've read my books. I had a 10-year-old reach out and said they read it with their parents, although their parents skipped some parts, and that's fine. Um, but then I also had an 80-year-old wa- lady come to one of my events and tell me that she loves my books and she keeps copies and she passes them out on the train. So, you know, that, that tells me that literature books can reach beyond who the intended audience is. When I sit down, I'm thinking about teenagers, but for some reason, somehow, some way, my books have gone beyond teenagers and and they've reached multiple generations.
0: Angie, were you able to follow up with with that 80-year-old? Were you able to ask them why they're handing out those books on the train? They obviously believe that there's a pretty important message there for complete strangers to read.
4: Yeah, she told me she loved it. Um, and and that it opened her eyes and helped her see some things and changed her perspective. Um, and she could only imagine what it would do for a young person. And so in The Hate You Give, especially Star loves sneakers. So she told me this instance of she was on the bus and this young man came on wearing some Jordans and she was like, young man, are those Jordans? And he was surprised she knew what a Jordan was. <laughs> and so it led to her having a conversation of, well, I've been reading this book and the character likes these shoes. Would you like to read the book? I think you may enjoy it. So she gave him a copy using that. Um, but she said it changed her mind and opened her eyes even at 80. And I mean, hey, if she's willing to listen and learn who can't listen and learn?
0: Well, that's amazing. Uh, in the introduction, we mentioned that the the hate you give, the book that you that you wrote uh, about five years ago, right? Um, it, it follows the story of Star Carter, and, and uh, Star is the only witness to her friend's fatal shooting by a police officer. It's heavy subject matter. The book just out, your, your new book, Concrete Rose, goes back, as you mentioned, it rewinds close to 20 years, and it, and it follows Star's dad, Maverick, as a teen, uh, why was it so important for you to write this this follow-up to the book that prompted a ton of conversation about racism, especially amid the Black Lives Matter movement? Why was this book so important?
4: Well, Maverick's story was important for several reasons. Um, when we're talking about Black Lives Matter and we're seeing black men dehumanized um, over and over again um, in the last moments of their lives when they become hashtags instead of just people um it becomes more apparent to me that we need more stories to show young black men and their lives and their perspectives um to further humanize them i hate that we're still at the point of trying to humanize young black boys and black men but we are um and and having conversations with people who were like oh wow i didn't know you know that someone like Maverick could exist um the father and the husband and the community leader that we see in the hate you give Knowing that he has a past, it's amazing to people that he comes from, you know, being some he was once in a gang, that he was once a drug dealer, that he was once in prison, and now he's this wonderful father and husband, and they're like, how? And so I felt as if it was important to show the how and, and to focus on why he fell into those bad decisions so that maybe we can look at the real mavericks of the world and look at the whys as opposed to the what's. And look at the hows. Um, I think that's what this book hopefully will make people do. Um, That was my intent, especially when I started writing it in 2020. Um, And I'm seeing Mr. George Floyd lose his life over and over again in the video footage that's being played constantly. And I'm seeing people dehumanize him constantly. Um, It was more important to me to show a young man like Maverick and, and to show how he becomes who we later see, but also to give him the grace of being a human being who has a full range of emotion in hopes that maybe just maybe the real Mavericks out there can be humanized a bit more by more people.
0: Hmm. We, we've got people in our live chat that are uh, familiar with your work that are, um, you know, talking about the the impact that it's had on them, you know, for example, which is has obviously got to be uh, a pretty meaningful thing for you to hear. Uh, of all of the feedback. And I recognize that we're talking about, you've been doing book tours and you do interviews. And of course you've, you've had a, there was a major motion picture based off, uh, the hate you give your one book, but, but was there one person or have there been a couple people that have come up to you or that have written you or that have interacted with you in some way where your book has, has literally changed the course of their life? Like, is there an interaction that you remember that immediately comes to mind?
4: Yeah. A recent one. And it was with concrete rows actually. Um, I received a letter from a young man who is 17 years old and in a juvenile detention center um, for some pretty serious crimes. And he told me he read Concrete Rose and he told me that it gave him hope and it helped him realize that even someone like him can change their life around. That's powerful because this is a young man who's been ridden off by so many people already because of some mistakes he made. And he said, "It shows me that it's po- it's possible for somebody like me to turn my life around, and it shows me too that maybe just maybe there are people out there who care about me. Um, you care about me because you wrote a story about somebody like me, and I appreciate that. So that gives me some hope.
0: That's that incredible.
4: Truly, just that that did it for me. I'm like, if the, if Concrete Rose doesn't get into another hand, I'm okay. It got into his, <laughs> and it changed his perspective on himself, and and that's powerful. Those are the stories that." matter the most to me, the young people whose lives have been changed because they see the power and the beauty that lies within them by seeing it in these stories.
0: Amazing. What other sorts of conversations do you hope come as a result of your books?
4: Well, I hope that people recognize the power of perspective, and I hope that people recognize um, that young people especially recognize the power of their voice. We are in an interesting time right now, and I meet so many young people who want to change the world, and they're energized, and they're... They're um, restless to a degree as well. They want to do something. They want to change things. And my whole motto is if you want to change the world, you just start by changing the world that's around you. And I hope that's what my books continue to show them. These are characters who don't, you know, get they don't go to Congress and and change laws and this, this and this. What they do is they make change within their own communities, they change things that are happening around them and that's how they can in turn change the world. So I hope it reminds young people of the power that they, they have. Um, the power they have is greater than the hate anybody can give.
0: Amazing. Angie Thomas, our guest, uh, author of the new book, Concrete Rose. Uh, we're seeing a rise and I, I see it sort of pop up in news feeds from time to time. And I, and I know that it's not nothing. I mean, the premise of it is very serious banning books, essentially It feels like book burning from decades ago and and limited access or administrators oftentimes limiting access to so-called controversial books. Um, Do you believe? And if so, why do you believe uh, that young people in particular, but everybody needs to be exposed to perspectives different than their own? Do you have an opinion on this?
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, I often think of our political leaders and current and um, past recent past Um, And I think about, wow, what it would have been like, what kind of person would they have been if, as a young person, they read books by Black authors about the Black experience? Would we have to say Black Lives Matter or would it be understood? What if they read books about LGBTQIA young people when they were young and these books were written by LGBTQIA people? Would we have to fight for rights or would they be a given? If they read books about Latino people by Latino authors when they were kids, would we be talking about, would they they be talking about building walls or bridges? That's the power of literature. Literature puts you into someone else's shoes for a bit. Literature creates empathy and we need more empathy, far more than sympathy. And by having leaders, young people who become leaders who have empathy, that changes how our world is shape that changes our society that changes so much so that's the power of books and i wish though when they're talking about banning these books i wish they'd also listen to the young people who say hey this is my life this is something i'm going through this is something i identify with and by telling them you should nobody should read this what you're saying is nobody should know about what you're going through Mm -hmm. and that's what i take issue with so um It saddens me that when we're having these conversations, or when we're seeing these conversations, when we're seeing these school board meetings, um, we're seeing these interviews on national media, they're not talking to the Black parents about how these books are helping their kids. They're not talking to the parents of LGBTQIA young people and finding out how these books are helping their kids. We're once again only getting one perspective so that we can only get one perspective in books, and that's going to limit the leaders that we will have in the future.
0: Yeah, so well said. When when you were in your Target demo, when you were like 14, did you already know you were going to be an author? When, when did this happen for you?
4: You know, the funny thing is, when I was 14, I hated reading. Really? <laughs> I did. And I realize now it's because a lot of the books that were being pushed to me weren't books that I could identify with. Like 14, 15, 16, when I was in that age range, like the big popular books were Twilight and The Hunger Games. And I have nothing against those. But for me, it was like, I let me bring home an old vampire and see how that goes over with my mom. I can't identify with that, you know? So again, nothing against those books, but I was not being shown books that showed my perspective, showed things that I was going through. But hip-hop filled that void for me. Rappers were talking about the things I identified with, and they were talking about communities like mine, and they spoke to me. And so hip-hop filled that storytelling void. And that's now why I'm a writer, because I recognize that, hey, had I gotten books at 14, 15, 16, maybe just maybe I would have wanted to write sooner, but also maybe I would have known the power that was within me a little bit more. Um, that's That's why I do what I do now, so that there aren't any little Angie's coming up that won't have these books. They'll actually have these books available to
0: them. Amazing. Well, congratulations on your continued success. I, is there a, is there a film project underway with this one too?
4: Well, the second, my second novel on the come up, we just finished filming it this yeah. past December here in Atlanta. Um, and it's set to come out later this year. I'm super excited about that. But um hopefully we can get something going with concrete rows. Um, you know, it, it's a little complicated because technically right now, um due to the Fox Disney merger, technically Maverick is a Disney Prince. Ah. So we'll see. <laughs> ah.
0: this is the, you,
4: I, yeah, I don't the, have to say more.
0: Yeah. There you go. The business of art. Angie, congratulations. I love this from Luke. I mean, there's a ton of comments here, but Luke says, thanks for this interview. He says, I never get enough time to sit and read books, but I've just downloaded the audio versions of Concrete Rose and the Hate You Give* from the library. So there you go. And I know a bunch of people will be checking it out. Thanks for making time for us today. It's really great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you got it. That's author Angie Thomas. Uh, her newest book, Concrete Rose, it's the follow-up to The Hate You Give. It's worth checking out both of them. I love it. You can just feel the like, feel the passion, the conviction, and the calling. And I've noticed people are like pulling uh, quotes out of things that she said. That's just sticking with them, and yeah. uh, I love that. You know, would we have to say Black Lives Matter, or would it be understood that from Alicia? And I saw a quote earlier from you know, you you ask her, you know, is 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 that is there that one bit of feedback. Is there that one person that, that made a comment to you that that really stuck with you? And what a mm-hmm. powerful story that she shared with us as well. That's fantastic. Uh, Emma quoted her, you care about me because you wrote a story about someone like me.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I like this comment from uh, Hope who says, audiobooks rock for us. I, I assume she's talking about parents with small kids running after them all day long. Do you find yeah. that too? Like, yeah. And podcasts as well, Well, I've got obviously. a
0: buddy, yeah. Especially people that travel for work or things like that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, people's listening habits. It's why we're doing what we're doing now, where we're taking our careers in this direction. Multitask. The audiobooks and podcasts and, and the way that people are streaming on-demand content is yeah. changing. And so that's huge for authors like Angie too. But there's also nothing like having a book in your hands. 100%. Right.
1: Get you yeah. good. it get you ready for bed. I like, like you the having a book in your hands. The feel <laughs> of the
0: book. That's Angie Thomas and Concrete Rose. I want to get to Ellen's email in just a little bit. Before the show wraps, I promise I'm gonna read it. It's a uh, serious subject matter. Ellen writes about her own lived experience in the context of the bigger abortion access comment that uh, or conversation that people are having uh before we go there I want to remind you that uh this show happens because we have sponsors like Infinity Healthcare Infinity Healthcare when it comes to their community engagement a big part of what they do is giving back to their local communities and uh of course they're focusing coming up in June on brain awareness month and so they want you to swing on by their website right now to learn a little bit more about what they're doing to support the Brain Center. That's infinity-8.ca. There's also career opportunities there for healthcare aides, licensed practical nurses, customer care navigators, and healthcare ambassadors. A great opportunity to pursue a career where you're helping people find perfect home care solutions so they can age in place or so their families can have the confidence that they're receiving reputable, consistent care. That's exactly what Infinity does through their personality matching service. They make sure that all of your objections all of your concerns are addressed as they find the perfect healthcare provider for you or your loved one. You can find Infinity Healthcare under the Sponsors tab on our website. Also, a big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. This month, we are talking blizzards, including the Oreo Dirt Pie Blizzard. It's the one that Johnny and I keep obsessing over because it has gummy worms through the chocolate dirt. Yeah. It doesn't get any cooler than that. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to lie, what? I've not yet tried. The Cotton Candy Blizzard Okay But it seems to me Like that's the no-brainer For the next one But how do you say no To the Nestle Drumstick With Peanuts Blizzard Or the Very Cherry Chip Blizzard Or the Girl Guides Chocolatey Mint Cookie Blizzard Oh, and then there's The Reese's Pieces Cookie Dough Blizzard As well Sounds to me like It's gonna sort of be A a seven-day-a-week type thing
1: I was surprised to hear You're a Score Blizzard guy yesterday It's kind of Uh, of an odd choice Is is it not? Well,
0: uh, this is what people say If they've not yet tried The Score Blizzard Yeah Right, and so I mean, there's the classic Smarties Blizzard. You can't. Yeah. You're not. You're not going to pick a lousy Blizzard. No, it's not. There's just no such thing. But I think for me next will be. You know what I'll do is I'll get Wyatt, our little guy, to get the cotton candy blizzard. and then I'll just sort of try a taste and see how I feel <laughs> about that one. That's parenting 101, my friends. These are the Dairy Queens, uh, insured park at Baseline Road in Northwest Edmonton, Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, and Westmount. We got an email from Ellen, uh, and the subject line said. Don't use my name. Abortion. And so Ellen, not her real name, uh, wrote in to us and, and essentially pours out her heart. And we appreciate this. Of course, the conversation is happening internationally uh, because of a document that was made available to reporters, to journalists with Politico that, that shows, that indicates that the highest court in the United States, the Supreme Court, will overrule the landmark 1973 decision Roe v. Wade uh, it would open up the door for essentially um, states autonomy on issues of health care, including access to abortion in states like Mississippi that are currently challenging this. And of course, Canadians are rightfully asking as well. Is this something that could impact us? You mind calling up that polling? This I thought was really interesting, and we'll use this to fuel some of our discussion in days to come. Uh, you can follow Polling Canada at Canadian Polling on Twitter. They release polling conducted by other firms, they don't conduct the polling themselves. Ecos, uh, back in March, polling Canadians, uh, just over a thousand of them. Would you consider yourself, this is the question, would you consider yourself to be more pro life or more pro choice? 78% of Canadians polled, uh, indicated they were pro-choice. 13% indicated they were pro-life. I've also seen an interesting movement online, a lot of people challenging, especially journalists and public commentators, mm-hmm. to stop using the phrase pro-life and to start using the phrase anti-abortion. I saw
1: this yesterday. Actually. Which is interesting
0: yeah. as well. We talked for uh, a couple months ago on the show about this, about how framing uh, groups and how you put it, you know, Like, are you a- are you pro-life or are you anti-abortion? Are mm-hmm. you pro-choice or are you pro-abortion? Yeah. As pro lifers would say. And then people will say, well, obviously, I'm not pro abortion. And th- there goes the conversation. We want this to be an area where we can have those conversations. But it's an interesting point.
1: It is pro life, kind of, it's kind of confusing because at times, you know, the life of the mother is at stake, right? I yeah. Feel, or, so. or
0: people will say, well, if you're pro life, where's like the, the, the state sponsored childcare and where's the children's school lunch programs yeah. and where's the, right? So Ellen says, as someone who had an abortion in Alberta 37 years ago, I have strong feelings about this. Those were the days when there was a panel that decided if you got your abortion or not. It delayed the procedure by an agonizing three weeks. She says it still pisses me off almost as much as the birth control lecture that I got from the nurses after it was all over. She said I had successfully used birth control for eight years prior, by the way. What I needed at that moment was compassion, not the contempt I could clearly see on that nurse's face. I was at the beginning of my career and I fell in love with someone who was my boss's boss. And it was a head over heels sort of a thing. And we talked marriage and kids and possibly even moving to the Caribbean where he was from. And about three weeks into the relationship, I learned he was married in the process of a divorce. And I deeply regret that I didn't end it there. But it took me almost a month to tell him that it was over until he had the divorce finalized. A week after that conversation, I learned I was pregnant. I wanted that baby more than anything I've ever wanted before, but he did not share that desire, and I was barely supporting myself, working full-time and studying for a professional certification. Uh, Given the racial difference, uh, it was made clear to me there was no way I would keep my job once the baby was born, and ultimately I made the most difficult decision of my life, says Ellen, until today, writing this email... I've only ever told three people about my abortion. One of them is my husband. We've been married 35 years and have two children. Looking back on it, I made the right decision for me. I did not need anyone to condone that decision then nor now. Abortion is a woman's choice, and I do not believe that it is one that is made lightly. Ellen says, if you really want to limit the number of abortions then please support policies that will reduce the numbers like shame-free sex ed, affordable child care, in the United States, affordable prenatal and medical care, freely available and affordable birth control, and measures that reduce poverty and promote good public education. Ellen says countries that do this have much lower rates of abortion. These are the so-called pro-life choices that are most impactful. Ellen signs off saying again, please don't use my real name. My mother would be heartbroken to learn that I had an abortion. That from Ellen. Thank you for putting your trust in us to share your story, Ellen. We appreciate it. You can respond to what she had to say. You can share your own story or you can chime in on something else by being in touch with us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Coming up on tomorrow's broadcast, it's Friday. That means that, of course, we're going to check back in with our regular Friday correspondent, the incomparable and brilliant Supriya DeVetti, plus an innovation roundtable. This celebrating the release of Edify's annual innovation issue. We'll talk to three people that are driving change and bringing us into the future in their areas of study. It will be impossible to not be inspired. Plus other news of the day. We'll talk about what really matters. We'll see you soon.
2: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duveti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Katherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.